Well, hello there, friend. You have found your way to the Socially Responsible Podcast. My name is Carrie McFarland. I am the Missions Director at City Life Church. And being such, I have the privilege of talking to some amazing people about what they do in this city. And I can't wait to share them with you. So let's have some fun and let's talk about what it means to be socially responsible. Hey, hey, friends. Um, I am so thankful that you're tuning in to another episode of the Social Responsible Podcast. It's been a while since our last episode, and um, we are still in quarantine time. Today is June 19th that I am recording this right now, and um, it has been kind of difficult for me, I know, to um, to not get my hands uh, into service and... Um, I'm just trying to find ways to still do that because it is it is definitely a way that I connect and worship God. And so, but having this podcast and knowing that it's going out into the world is is an encouragement to me. And it is in kind of a way uh, of worship for me to share these stories and these testimonies of people who are Christ-centered and spirit-empowered and who are living socially responsible in their respective areas. And um, I want to say that these people that I have on the podcast, they may be nonprofit um, organization <laughs> uh, folks. They may they may have their own careers in in social work or or what have you. They may have doctorates and masters in um, in social work and and such. But I want to say that that doesn't exactly mean that they are entirely socially responsible. I think that being socially responsible can be as as um, as large as starting a nonprofit or uh, starting a ministry, or it can be as simple as uh, serving your neighbors beside you, making a meal for someone who's sick, or um, or finding a way to to love that homeless person on the side of your road that's probably at a cross section that you know very well or that you pass by all the time. I think that um, those are those are small and simple ways that we still are socially responsible, um, and so. Today, I'm talking to Amy Bazinski, and Amy and I have interacted um, multiple times throughout the past year. I was introduced to her by Ashley Sims, who was on the podcast before, and um, they they talked to me about um, the needs that the church can specifically do to engage the foster and adoptive um community, if you will, of parents who are about to foster, of parents who are about to adopt, um, churches that can meet physical needs like making a bed or, um, or, or giving a backpack to a child who's just been removed from a home. These are things that um, we would not have otherwise known that we could be participating in without Amy Bazinski and her organization called Cultivating Families. And so uh, October of last year, of 2019, uh, our church held a, an event called um, Outside the Gate, and it was a bed and bag build and put together. And it was so much fun for me, and it was, it was kind of a little dream come true, I think, for, for myself and then for our church to see so many people um, sanding down a bed for a child that needs it and to see um, little little kiddos putting uh, books and putting socks in an overnight bag for a child and uh, that doesn't have a family of their own and praying throughout the whole process. It was that whole experience was such um, just at such a time of worship. And Amy made that possible, and not a lot of people know that. Not a lot of people knew that Amy made that possible, and her team at Cultivating Families makes that possible. So you're going to hear a lot about Cultivating Families and why it exists, but one thing I want to point out before we get into the episode is especially um, what she points out is the theology behind the church serving the the child who is abused and neglected, and... um, and she has such an amazing viewpoint on this, and I can't wait for you to hear it. And so um, let's get into the conversation. I had a, I was an interior designer for 15 years. <clears throat> I specialized in hospital and long-term care facility design. Now, how, whenever, was that the original intent you had whenever you were going into college that you wanted to do um, rehabilitation centers and that, that kind of design, or were you thinking of something else originally? 
Mm, interior design I knew and I and I think I knew um that I didn't want to do homes. Yeah. Uh so yeah. commercial design. Now <clears throat> it, I don't know if it was by luck that I ended up my first job was a architectural firm that specialized in healthcare design. Uh, yeah. But I fell in love yeah. with that right away because it's, I mean, you're really helping the patients and the nurses do their job. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it, I could tell it, nobody really understood, but I, I knew in my heart that it's helping people heal, like to have a nicer yeah. space. There's an aesthetic <laughs> or, or to make there's an aesthetic quality that brings a lot of healing, I think. Yeah, yeah, and some peace. And, well, it's just <clears throat> kind of hidden there, right, in the walls. And then, and, but it seems like the, it seems like an under understated help to to do that. Right, right, all the way from color theory, knowing that you're selecting colors that are um, peaceful and calming, but and nobody else knows that, but. <clears throat> But, um, you know, every little detail affects um, the environment, whether it's pleasant or not. And then it also affects the efficiency, you know, for the nurses and the staff moving about in the space. Um, And you were in that arena for 15 years. So you you stayed you stayed in there (laughs) and right out of college. I feel like that's also not. Not a lot of people have that opportunity to stay in the same field for that long. No, I'm looking back now that I'm older, I'm thinking that was a short amount of time, but it was kind of long, I guess. <laughs> well, I would say you you gained expert experience by that time. Right, right. There, um, now I've I've lost a lot of it by now because I'm not in it every day, like. I used mm-hmm. to know a lot of terms, a lot of medical terms and a lot of um, equipment terms. Uh, and so I feel really out of it. But um, but I do find that things I learned there, um, I apply in a completely different arena. Um, you know, just some of the people's skills, um, mm-hmm. the creativity, even though I'm not designing, um, I feel like I'm still creative in how I approach my days or my programs or my courses or projects. Um, yeah. You still get to have that. Yeah. That outlet. So. Um, Cause it never really leaves you. Right. It's always there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So um, did you, uh, did you get your master's of divinity within that time that you were still in that field or is it whenever you, you left the interior design, um, to, to focus on that? I did, I began near the end of that, but I, I quickly decided to focus on it full time. So, uh, I did start seminary and I was still kind of consulting and design. I was in, in, in the end, I was an independent outside consultant Um, and I started seminary but I at some point within the first year I decided I either need to make a commitment to this or or not put my time and energy into it so I um, continued on with seminary and uh, closed my uh, design consultant business and uh, and accepted a part-time job at as church right. staff. That's a big shift. So <laughs> most, yeah. So most of my time in seminary, I was working part-time in, uh, on the church staff. In fact, my husband pulled out, um, I don't know, we were doing taxes one year and it looked like from down to the penny, my school cost, um, what I made in my part-time job that happened one semester, but it was like, Wow. exactly it's like well I guess I guess I was a wash <laughs> for the family <laughs> so I I've heard you speak on this before whenever um you had come to give a presentation to our our church kids volunteers and um you talked about the shift that the Lord had done in your heart to um 
pursue what is now cultivating families and with you and that there was maybe some reluctance there, but I'll say that the people more than likely the people who listen to this podcast right now are believers. And, um, and so I think that, I think that they would love to know, um, what was going on in, in your spiritual walk when you were making that transition, um, from your consulting business that you'd done for such a long time to, um, what would be cultivating families. Sure, sure. Well, uh, near the end of my career in interior design, I didn't, I didn't realize it as the years were going by, but I suffered from depression. And um, once I realized that and I got into therapy and as I began healing, I found myself just, uh, um, I was just pulled to be up at my church all the time whatever the doors were opening for I wanted to be there and be involved mm-hmm. and I, I I had always gone to church but maybe what they call a pew sitter yeah. I, I forget the term <laughs> yeah. right? like I went and I went regularly and I was spiritual but um you know when you're clinically depressed you can't fully grasp um, many areas of your life. Mm. So in, in healing, I found myself always wanting to be up at the church. Mm. And um, as that went on for a while, I found myself really drawn to prayer ministry, um, learning to pray with others, intercessory prayer. And I began um, getting involved in the prayer group where people would come and ask for prayers. And I ended up leading the group. And the whole time I just, I felt God calling me to more. There's something else I want, Amy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had no idea what it was. And uh, from that, I, I, I thought, well, you know, I, I had, I had an interest a little bit in seminary. I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. Um but I, uh, as I entered all this and made that transition, I thought in a, I, a very, very human and practical way, yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, if I know hospitals, you know, like the back of my hand and I'm knee deep or up to my eyeballs in praying and praying for others, then I probably should be a hospital chaplain. That's what I thought. At yeah, the time. that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's very yes. practical. And so I entered seminary um, with that path in mind to become a chaplain. Mm -hmm. And it was really uh, halfway through seminary, we adopted our son. And uh, again, nothing was by choice. I wasn't heading in different directions knowingly. But uh, through the adoption of our son, I just I saw God at work. Uh, in such a powerful way and I don't mean in like a romantic way or uh, that just God took ever care of everything I mean it was this strange balance of um, my husband and I had to put so much into that adoption Mm -hmm. the actual work the feet on the ground the paperwork the interviews the self-searching the soul-searching you know, about bringing a child into your family. Uh, So we had put in a lot of work, but also um, throughout the process, uh, you have to just leave so much up to others to do their job. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, being a religious person, you have to leave so much up to God to do God's part of it. And um, I saw all that come together in such a powerful way. Um, that is kind of the seed or the beginning of switching gears from, I guess, ho- hospital chaplaincy to um, doing something in adoption. Uh, and it wasn't quite foster care yet, although that's a huge passion mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I didn't know where that thought would lead me. It was just something that was placed on my heart. And I just kept listening. Mm -hmm. Um, and as doors opened, I walked through them as doors closed, I left. Um, and then once we adopted our son and, and there was such a personality match, my husband's different than me. I'm, I'm different than my son. We're all different than each other, but together, um, it was such a good, Mm. it's such a good match to be as a family. Um, and then, and with that, I just, I just 
kept thinking about what about all the other children and how are they going to find a family the way we just did? Right. 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 Um, uh, with all those things falling into place, our hard work, other people's hard work, um, just leaving, leaving so much up to God. Um, and I started looking at numbers of children out there. And of course my husband wouldn't let me adopt all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I had to figure out a way um, to, to make a difference. And that's, to make it, yeah, that's yeah. just, yeah. To begin making a difference for all of those children. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I love that. I love it. Um, and I do remember that a part of your story from, from um, you sharing it in person of uh, just the draw that um, the draw that you had to the church and seeing how much of a help it was to you. And then how much, um, and then in this particular area of, uh, of need of, of children without homes that you put, you know, that, well, the Lord showed you, you know, two and two. And um, I think it's really cool. And uh, that, you're not, you don't seem to be afraid of, um, of doing something really hard and, you know, emotionally, even emotionally exhaustive, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> even within, you know, re, uh, going into hospitals and having to consider all of the, the really hard things and the hard realities that people go to, you know, go through in those hospitals and trying to make it better. Uh, I think that speaks a lot to your just not being afraid to enter those, those tough places. Um, and so just to encourage you in that and, um, thank you. Yeah. 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 And so, um, you, you went through the process of adopting your son and you saw all of those steps being in place. And so, um, when, and then you saw the numbers. And so, um, did you, um, did you decide then that, oh, there's a, there's a space for connecting the church with, uh, potential adoptive families and there's kind of a gap there um, you know when did you see that gap and decide to to fill it I guess I was um, I was on church staff I started I was five years in youth ministry uh, okay. and then during a seminary uh, internship I, I did uh, homebound care elderly care and then from that, I think as I graduated and I was going to enter into the work of ordination, which was another two years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, during that time, I entered children's ministry. I was on children's ministry staff. Staff just I was responsible for one one of the age groups, um, older elementary, and um, at, through that position, they allowed me to begin um, adoption ministry under that umbrella, and I started a an adoption support group. and did an awareness event so I was really just kind of dabbling in it and um and it took off um more than anyone thought and and as I kept looking at the numbers and I looked at these small ministries that we had started and that uh, people were interested and people were coming and there seemed to be a need and we seemed to be filling that need Mm um I I um I started looking at more numbers and I was like and how many children, you know, in the greater Houston area, uh, like Harris and the surrounding counties, mm-hmm. are um, h- how many children have had their biological family rights terminated? At the time, um, the best that I can tell, um, data is is hard from CPS to get exactly what you're looking for. But at the time, it looked like there were about 1,400. And, and um, I'm in a a connectional church system, the United Methodist system. And mm-hmm. I, so I thought, well, what if all the Methodist churches, you know, could band together and make a difference? So I called my conference office or I called my friend at the conference office. And I said, how many churches are in our conference? And she said about 700. And I thought, well, there's 1400 kids if, and there's 700 and that's just Methodist. And there's a lot of denominations. I thought, mm-hmm. There's not that it was really that moment that I thought, okay, churches can really do if each of them did a small ministry like we had started. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's different, a different ministry for different churches, depending on their, uh, depending on their community, depending mm-hmm. on their resources, whether it's financial or the skills or the talents or just the volunteers available. Um, I just felt like there's something that every church could do. 
And uh, so the 1,400 children and 700 churches, and I started looking at, okay, well, what about other mainline Christian denominations? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I got that number. That was like 2,500 or something. Um, So the, the numbers just started stacking up that this is actually something we can work on. And this is actually something we could make a difference in the kids' lives. Yeah. Um, It's not, it is overwhelming, but it's not as overwhelming as, say, world poverty, right? Right, (laughs) right. Yes. seems like with the resources available right in our area Mm -hmm. um, and the need, we should be able to do something about it. And that's really my driving forces. Whatever is a roadblock, well, can we do something about that roadblock? Um, right. And really get some help out there. And not everyone needs to bring a child into their home. Right. Um, the numbers don't even stack up that we need a child in every home. They don't even stack up that you need a child cared for from every single congregation. Mm-hmm. But if every congregation right. did something, did something, yeah, considered it open. Yeah, I had um, Ashley uh, Sims uh, on um, a few weeks ago, and and she and I were talking about that because, of course, she has to you know turn down families, and that's the hard part of her job, of course. But um, but she and I talked about you know where is that where is that line between encouraging families and even just making it a consideration in, you know, in their home. Um, and, and, and then, you know, of course those, those people that, you know, it isn't for them, but to even, I guess my point is to even just consider that it could be, um, you know, something that they, they add in their lives and it's extremely complex and, and that's, understandable but but what if you know what if they could provide a loving home for a child that doesn't right right yeah so you actually just hit on uh something that i i wrote a curriculum for that's our um are you there oh yes yes sorry i just it was Mm -hmm. extra silent i'm sorry it gets really quiet (laughs) (laughs) um i recognized that one point um in the past someone what became aware of the need, they would go to an information session or an orientation or, or call up just randomly, maybe call up an agency or just ask a friend. Um, and, but once, once they talk with someone, really the, the next step is to just decide yes or no and start the process. And so, um, (laughs) that's a big, (laughs) there's a lot of decisions that have to happen in between those two steps. Right. And so I actually, uh, decided to focus in right at that juncture and I wrote a curriculum for adoption and foster care decisions where Mm -hmm. I would take people that have become aware of the need and they think, you know, if they have any inkling that they think they might want to bring a child into their home, um, I highly recommend that you take our class. If if I knew of another one that's like it, I would recommend they take anything. But right, right, <laughs> right now. Um, but because there's not, right, yeah. yeah. So uh, it it's a commitment to take our class. It's a three week class. It's two hours each week. Uh, there's mm-hmm. homework. There are assignments. Um, the whole first week, we focus on uh, the people involved, which is the children, where they come from, why they're in the system, what their mm-hmm. needs are. Um, we focus on compassion for them and where they came from, compassion for the biological family, uh, and that they're not necessarily bad people, that their children ended up here. might be generations yeah. worth of issues and circumstances. Um, and then we also focus on on the person taking the course. Why did they sign up for this course? What, you know, and at the end of the day, we're trying to um, make a point right away that adoption, you know, considering this is not one way, it's not about filling a hole in yourself. It's a, mm. it's a two way relationship. Um, right. The child is right. going to bring their past uh, and tr- maybe trauma or neglect or with them. And you're going to bring your past and your, you know, any, anything that your life has brought you. Um, So that whole first lesson is about all the people involved in adoption and foster care. 
And then the mm-hmm. second class is um, really black and white stuff, which people probably think they're signing up to take. And that is, um, do you go with a child placing agency? Do you go with an attorney? What are the costs of, of the process? What are the different kinds of routes you could go with an infant or an older child or even international, if that might be your consideration? Um, and then what's a home study? Is that scary? What to expect? So it's really the black right. and white things about the process. And then the third class brings it all together and, and kind of, it gets into that, the point I made about the fact that it's a lot of work for you and you've got to leave a lot up for other people. Um, you have to have faith in others. Um, yeah. And then also mm-hmm. um, you have to have faith in, in God in throughout all of this and, do everything you can to prepare, but you're not going to be prepared for everything that's going to hit you. Um, yeah. And the most important message out of all that is to don't try it alone. Um, mm. Yes. Uh, make sure that you have a community around you. Make uh, make sure that you connect with others that have done it. Um, make sure um, that you have a, well, a place to step outside of your own home when you're in the heat of any of this during the process or after a child's injury and uh, cultivating families believes that the first place that you should be welcome is your own faith community. And so we are big on, on making a connection between foster and adoptive families and uh, either their Mm -hmm. own faith community or a faith community that can uh, welcome them and understand them yeah i think that that is um a vital vital role that the church um that that the that the church has to step off on and um i i think this is a good spot to um i have your your mission cultivating families mission i should say um, here and I want to just read it and um, and then you know you can comment on if there's anything that you would you would want to add to it and here and just um, but it says our mission is to equip communities of faith to care for foster and adopted children our vision is a future where all communities of faith care for foster and adopted children and our fundamental belief is that when all faith communities care for foster and adopted children no child will be left to navigate life alone. And um, the next paragraph, I really, I really am just, I, and I'm saying this on the podcast, just so it goes out into the internet in the ears of, of some people, because uh, it's, it's mind boggling, but many have heard if every church had one family that adopted, there would be no children without families. There are many books and websites full of resources on adoption, foster care ministry. However, there are still 1,500 children waiting in the greater Houston area alone, um, and more must be done, and current practices can be more effective. So um, so I think that cultivating families is different from, uh, obviously, any other kind of nonprofit and, um, and state-funded organization in that it, it, it very much, like, is for faith communities to take up this responsibility. And this podcast is called being socially responsible. And I, I personally see, um, you know, the church's responsibility, but I'm curious, and this is a question that I had asked Mm -hmm. you before of just what is the, you know, the theological um, basis that you would see of, of people who say they believe in God and meeting the need of, um, of children who, who don't have families. I think, uh, for me, and um, we are we are a multi faith organization, um, mm-hmm. but I never wash down anyone's faith. And so, when I'm asked this question, it comes from a purely my belief as a Christian. Um, and I don't right. think I could get up and do this every day um, if I didn't have the the faith that I have. Um, actually, yeah. the faith that I have in a triune God. Um, yes. And I always go back to uh, the 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 fact. I'm going to go ahead and say the fact that uh, we're we're made in the image of God, and that image is a triune mm-hmm. God. And so, 
um, I always stop to think about how God and God's own self is not alone. So we're yeah. made in the image of a God that's in, in a, it's all about relationship um, and not, not facing anything alone. And uh, that's what you see the bold letters in our fundamental belief is not leaving any child to navigate life alone. Mm-hmm. So right. I believe that um, we're created in that image and we're created to be in relationship with God and we're created to be in relationship with each other. And every single one of those words is a driving force for, um, for what we do. Um, the, the one about um, being in relationship to God, if, uh, if a child is, is not in a family that is able to go to church, um, mm-hmm. are they developing a relationship with God? Because that is super essential. <laughs> They have yes, to have the yes. opportunity to get to know God and to develop a relationship with God. And and that right. piece of being in relationship with each other, that may be the more, um, the part, the piece of foster care and adoption or orphan ministry. I think that's a more well-known thought is that the kids shouldn't be alone. Definitely. You know, while they're here on earth, the kids shouldn't um, have to figure out life alone. Um, no. And, mm-hmm. and, and we could do all these projects that give them the stuff they need or even a mentor that they need. Uh, but, but who's with them for the long haul? Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, some of the older ones don't want a new family, but they do still need relation, lifelong relationship here and now. And that they are not alone in all of that. Right. I love that in, especially just in, and I haven't really ever considered of, I mean, we obviously know that um, a a child having, um, having to be removed from their family or by circumstances, not that they've caused, have, have no family of their own and, and why that's so sad. And why does that, you know, why does that tug on our hearts so much? And I kind of just always thought, well, that's just the Holy Spirit telling us it's the right thing to do to make sure that doesn't happen. But I think the point that you're bringing is so cool and powerful of, you know, of, of a child being alone is it's not in, it's not inconsistent with the trying God in in himself that because Mm -hmm. there's, there's a fracture because of sin in the world, that's why there's, there's um, isolation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if everything were right, then no one would be isolated. And that's why it kind of comes down to the root of, of, of why this happens and why it's so, why it's so wrong for a child to be left alone um, in their life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh, and God. I try to, I try to keep that thread through all that cultivating families does. Um, I don't know for sure, but a part of me thinks that there are even a lot of other faith-based ministries that help foster children, but I don't know if their focus is making sure that they, they become a part of the church family too, Um, Mm. or if it's Mm -hmm. just getting them what they need. Um, So we always, we always, um, in every develop and design and run, we always try to point mm-hmm. out that they need physical, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual nurturing to become to become all right. that God created them to be. And we try to bring that lesson out, even if we're just doing a kit with a toothbrush and toothpaste. And so we learning piece to it. These are who the children are. This is it. Um, and then, of course, that comes out in child into your home, and in the parenting, mm-hmm. uh, the... yeah, I think that um, 
I think that for, for us and for um, city life folks who are listening, um, you know, they would, they would recognize cultivating families and the bed build that we did. And, um, and I, I think that like what you're saying of, of, events like that, where you're, where you're just meeting a physical need. Um, I know for us, it was, um, it was kind of a, a jolt in, um, in people's minds about, you know, uh, children without families, are, it's not happening. It's not just like happening overseas, where you think in those undeveloped countries, of course, it is happening there. But it's very much happening here in our county, you know, in our neighborhoods, where there's where there's children that are having to be removed from their homes. Um, and, and I think that it's, and I talked about this with Ashley as well. I think that, um, that reality, because we come, become so comfortable in the areas in which we live that we, we kind of don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about those realities. Right. Well, and it could be right in the areas that we live. I mean, it could be the children that, that are in our schools with our children. Um, it could, it could Mm -hmm. be, you know, it, it might be a foster child with, you know, walking down the grocery store aisle and we just, we just never know, uh, yeah. but their lives yeah. are, are yeah. hard, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I think that there could be some people and, and, I, and this is really good that we're having this, this discussion after I had talked to Ashley as well, but, um, is cultivating families, um, having the courses that the curriculum that you mentioned, the three-step courses uh, online at this point, are, are there, are there zoom courses happening right now? Or has that, has that been able, has that stopped? No, uh, actually I finished class three this t- tonight. <laughs> of, oh, um, okay. Our first pilot of bringing the course uh, online. And when I say online, it's not a, you can't just sign up and, and, and have access to the material and take it at your own pace because um, the essence of this is being with people and relationships and uh, having live local resources. So it is online, but it is, they are actual live class times online. And Mm -hmm. so that's been a little difficult, but, um, but we are finishing up pilot one. I've learned a lot about technology and about connecting (laughs) and about how people can access all of their participant workbooks and handouts and things like that. Um, A hard part is that um, because it's about relationship, I have live guest speakers at every class. Uh, some of them might be mm-hmm. guest experts in the foster adoption community. Um, and then others mm-hmm. are more like testimonies from foster adopt parents and even some former foster youth um, speaking during okay. our class. So it's a powerful, it's a powerful class, but yes, um, my plan, I, I do things very, very carefully. So I have pilot two, mm-hmm. which I hope to schedule very soon. And then after one more round of the course, I hope to be able to offer it um, much more often online. And I hope that my, the process from my end is much more streamlined by that point. <laughs> but we're moving in that direction. Yeah, and like it. Um, it was always mm-hmm. on my list to do that. And so for that, I'm thankful for the stay at home orders and the opportunity uh, to have the time and the space to make it happen. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that um, I would say maybe this is just a personal preference, but I agree with you and the being able to answer questions in real time. And a lot of the a lot of the purposes being able to, um, you know, for for potential parents to see um, to see pa- you know, parents, adopted parents in real time and be able to ask questions in real time. There's something organic about that that you can't necessarily get online. Um, but it's, it's amazing that this resource is here um, and that you created it for, you know, for us to be able to um, take consider a lot more of the steps and, and feel at least just a little bit more qualified to jump into this uh, commitment of adopting. Um, and so thankful yeah, for that. And, and honestly, uh, what we consider a success from the course is if you say yes or no or not yet, 
any one of those because it is about the decision. We're not okay. we're not really, really pushing people to bring a child into their home. We're really pushing for them to make a very careful, knowledgeable, thoughtful decision about it. Yeah, that's really smart. Just having the the win is just that they walk away with more information and better able to make that decision, you know, or not. Um, I think that that's brilliant. And um, so within um, cultivating families, where do you, um, where do you see, where do you see it going uh, in the next, let's say 10 years or so? Like, do you see it being able to um, happen in other cities in Texas or um, cause I'm thinking that this model could really be, <laughs> could be something that, you know, in other communities. Uh, um, really right. Use. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, really balance that thought and, and make a, a good decision about it because it's uh, about relationships. That's a very local thing, right? So I've developed mm-hmm. a relationship with um, our CPS region who functions very differently mm-hmm. than say the next region or the next region, even though they're all in Texas. Uh, but I, I also believe that the model of what we've done could be applied in other areas. Um, although it would right. take someone in that area to develop all those specific relationships. Um, Cause it's right. Right. It, it's the, the relationship with, all yeah. the, with the core group of caseworkers, a relationship with a core group of the child placing agencies uh, and then the ability to be out there and to be networking and to begin the support groups and the projects and the classes um, to start together that community of actual foster and adoptive parents that can talk to parents. Um, all that's out there, but mm-hmm. in another area, um, I guess I say all that. I can't just package this and they can, you know purchase it or or just pull it up online and it works automatically it's going to take a lot of work in whatever area they're in Mm -hmm. Um, right well um i hope if i mean if anyone we you know though god can do god can do crazy amazing things and but if anyone is listening to this in a different city um if if you know any of this is striking a chord with them, um, I would encourage them to to check out the cultivating website, and I'll add the I'll add the link there too. Especially um, if courses are going to be you know if you uh, if you're putting them online or on the website mm-hmm. when the dates are and and so and for for people who are considering uh, taking them and making that step, but um, but I think that. And, and I, I think about the um, the people who would be listening to this that are um, just like, as you say, just drawn to the church and find so much joy in going to the church and serving and meeting a need. And um, and I think about cultivating families of just the opportunity to to not just be um, not to just worship in spirit and truth in their in their um, in their churches, but also, I mean, inviting inviting that into their home and being, being so, being so vulnerable as to do that. Um, and so, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big ask because it's not even, I mean, if you decide to mentor a child and you go every week, uh, and spend the hour or two with that child and you'd even do it for five years or, or something, that's a big commitment. Mm -hmm. But it's not twenty four seven under your roof, right? So, and that's the difference. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's it's life changing, um, on another level. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think it's it's such a beautiful depiction of the gospel, and just that Jesus left the comforts of heaven and came into yes. our world, and 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 in planted himself here despite all of the mess that he endured and um and it's just it's very much it's just very much the gospel adoption is such a beautiful reference to the gospel and I wonder just on a personal note for you how you've grown in um having having your son and going through that process but then also raising him and 
um, how have you grown in your in your own spiritual walk by going through that process? I think, well, what I, I don't know if this is necessarily spirit. I think, first of all, I have noticed um, after he's been a part of our lives that um, he has helped pull out of me more than I knew I had. Um, that's in many areas, mm-hmm. but of course, spiritual is, is one of them. Um, one is so advocating for him in all areas of life from doctors and therapists and schools and coaches. And then also in the church, um, his mm-hmm. right to be there, his right to be loved and welcomed, um, just struck a chord in me yeah. about all of Christianity. Um, at, are we leaving people out because they're not just like us? Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, truly on the spot, like us, like if, if, if a child be, is behaving differently than all the other child, children in class, does that mean they're not welcome there? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Right, And so it made me stop and think, how much are we doing this in Christianity? And then it made me right. really to who we are, why we are. And that's where it really solidified that, that theology about the triune God and being in relationship with each other. And um, it just became so much more real to me. Um, living with him mm. day in and day out um, and imagining anyone like him being left out. Uh, right. Yeah. It's not who we were created to be. It, whether, the, whether it's the right. hard times or the joyful times, uh, we're created to face that together. And I think as Christians, we've got to remember that. That if we're in mm-hmm. relationship with other people, um, we have to work through all that and still be in relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we have to. And adoption mm-hmm. is. Um, I I don't I can't speak to other faith communities, but I, I have read the, uh, I guess the Muslim. Uh, and I was tracking and tracking um, it also until I full inheritance for them it's it's Muslim law um, if you bring a, if they bring a child in they can choose to give them full inheritance but they don't have to and again that's kind of law mm-hmm. for them but for us, once you're welcome in the family, you're welcome in the family. And that is the whole gospel. Right. Full, full yes. Inheritance. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. That there is, um, there's, there's no measure or there's nothing that's held back. You know, once you are in, you know, once you quote unquote in the family, you know, once you are a child of God, there's. There's no matter of things that are ever held back from you, you know, no matter of love or grace, um, especially based off of what you do. And um, I love that point. That's that's really good. And it's a good place to um, to insert here. Our okay. question, <laughs> our question. Um, yes. So, um, yeah. So we have we have a question of who is your saint? And so it is it is someone that you would look up to and admire um, and if you could, you would saint them um, and someone who's a contemporary today. So who, who oh, would that be for you, Amy? Today um, is <laughs> time, and they actually did pass. But I always, uh, kind of strange, Dr. Karen Purvis from the um, Texas Christian University Institute of Child Development. Um, okay. Just mm-hmm. um, such such love and depth of, of love and and help and understanding and and hard and fast scientific research um, into trauma-informed care 
And mm. um, the core of that is making a connection with these children that uh, for some, through trauma or neglect or through their life experiences, disconnected other uh, cellular level, really. It's, it, it changed the path. Um, with her research yeah. and then with her openness to to um, spread that out into the world in a wider way than I think just a one doctor or one professor would do. Um, I I always I think whenever I pull up her videos and begin to show them, I think I actually tell people uh, she's one of my saints. <laughs> yes, yes. Well. Um whenever we were um in that the 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 kids uh the volunteer the kids volunteer um training uh that you would put put on and it was a part of our uh homework to to watch um to watch her and to watch the uh, some information that she was putting out i mean and then the videos that you played for us of her as well and um i just remember clapping in the <laughs> background just cuz she put words to um and i think like you you're saying that there's so much science and research that um that she was able to show us but then had so much love and compassion to use the words for it and and to make it practical um and yeah so yeah yeah i think that that's a that's a great person and everybody should look her up um but yeah could you say it's, her name again it's amy dr. i think karen I'm pretty- purvis um Mm-hmm. Dr. Karen Purvis. Okay. Yeah. Everybody check her out. Um, and so, yeah. Well, Amy, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And um, I really look forward to working with you more. Yeah. Well, that has been the Socially Responsible Podcast, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is put on through City Life Church, where we exist to honor God by making disciples that are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. If you are listening on Anchor right now, you have a special treat of a little party song or worship song called Tries by Every Nation Music, which we hope you enjoy. My name is Carrie McFarland, and thanks for listening.